guys, church? Hey, it's good to be up here. I know you don't see me up here often. Probably some of you have never seen me up here. But that's okay because I'm out doing the things you've hired me to do. uh, And that's going. And so uh, today I get to talk to you a little bit about doing just that. But let me give you an idea of some of the things that happen in my day almost every day is, you know, come to work here. We have meetings. Of course, we all have to have meetings, right? Because we got to do the planning like uh, Pastor Mark said. Um, But the good thing about it for me today, I can go off the rails and nobody will know it but you. (laughs) So let me just tell you, you know, often uh, I, some of you may know that I um, am the founder and lead the chaplain's program at Kern Medical. So I spend a lot of time there doing rounds with the doctors and seeing patients and and sharing the good news of Christ and time of life when somebody's really struggling. Sometimes it's life and death. Uh, I have a team that goes and does that. Also uh, oversee as president the Junkatique Outlet. Uh, yes, let's give a high five for that one because you know this weekend, yes, keep it up. This weekend we had another lot sale and we've, we're doing something a little different on our lot sales. If, if we can get enough volunteers from you to help us there in the lot sale so we don't have to pay staff to do it or minimal staff to do it, then what we do is we give that money that we earned that day in the lot sale to a designated mission. And this week, we were able uh, to, Mark and Sherry Rakowski were here first service. They serve in Honduras, have been in Honduras for five years. Uh, probably the oldest missionaries we have, actually some of the oldest missionaries I've ever seen working consistently down in Honduras and South America. And uh, they, were, they were here. Uh, they actually showed up there as well. Um, and we were able to give them over $2,400 for their ministry. Yes. And that was possible because we had you folks down there helping us. Now, that's a simple way to go, isn't it? Um, and then the other things I do is uh, I connect with a lot of the different missionaries, uh, local and around the world, that we serve. Uh, and we'll be doing that here in two weeks. We're going to be going to team that Jessica's leading. And I'm just going to go hang out with them. Uh, and watch them do a wonderful work. We're doing the family care with English Language Institute in Bangkok, Thailand. And then uh, that's a week. Then the week next, remember the young man you saw here with um, uh, Pastor Daniel last week? Uh, Cesar Ramos. Um, He and his wife and family are going back the same time we're headed up to go to Bangkok They're going back after their long stay here. They stayed in our missions department when they were in town. But they're going back. And you know, when Cecil's here, it's hard to pin him down. I I don't even think I've had a more than a 30-minute conversation with him. But I get to have him for a week. We're going to go visit he and his ministry and help them wherever it's needed and uh, just help build the ministry of uh, Multiply there in a uh, little bit outside of Bangkok area. So we're going to go do that, and we're going to have fun doing that. And if you want to have fun doing that, listen up. All righty? So this series on Go is a catalyst for you and I uh, to listen to what Jesus tells us we should be doing with our lives. And after we have followed his call by becoming his disciples, first we have to recognize ourselves in Scripture. And we'll do that as we look through Matthew uh, 25, 31 through 46. But before we get there, I want to um, talk a little bit about this name tag that I have on. Um, you know, we have different ways of being known here at Resurrection Church. 
One of the main ways, especially for those of us, those of us on the seventh side of the century, or seventh uh, decade of the century, we need to see a name tag just to remember who you are. Um, I need one just to guide me where I'm going, but, uh, we are, but we're known to Christ. He doesn't need a name tag to know us. But for us, here, one of the ways we're known is by wearing name tags. Another way is being in a group. And, and past that, another way is, is serving in a, in a ministry. Um, those are all ways that we can be known. Um, but before I get to the Matthew 25 uh, uh, set of scriptures, I want to talk to you about how way I was, a way I was known and thankful for uh, here recently out in the community. Um, as you know, as you can tell, I've got pretty good head, head of white hair. Um, and so when I get it cared to, I get it mowed. I get it thinned. I get it trimmed. All for one good price at one place. Uh, and it's called the Stairway to Beauty. Anybody here know that place? Yeah. Uh, yes, you do, don't you? I think we've seen each other there. Um, you know, it's a pretty odd place for a man to be going, but hey, I'm okay. I'm in touch with my Fenneman side. I, I love going in there and sitting and smelling the perfume and a little bit of hairspray instead of going over to Big Ed's down the street and smelling cigars and body odor. Um, and, and I get, I've been doing it for over 30 years and it seems to have worked. Um, but last time I was in there, I was getting my hair cut. We were chatting. Uh, the lady who does my hair today is Misty, and we were getting it all done. I paid her, and I arranged for my next appointment, and I turned around, and this lady that was having her uh, nails done, uh, I think they call that a massage. No, not a massage. What is that called? Manicure, yes. Having a manicure, she says, well, hi, Pastor Steve. How's your shoulder recovery going? And I looked at her, and I know she saw that look in my eye. <laughs> I could not, I knew I knew her, but I couldn't know from where, or didn't know from where. She said, oh, I'm Jana, Richard's wife. Oh, yeah, Jana. So then we caught up on my, how my shoulder's doing and some other things, pleasantries and talk. And uh, as, I, as I was walking out down the stairway from Beauty to my truck, I thought, it sure is good to be known. You know, have you ever felt that? Somebody greets you somewhere in the most odd place, and, you know, they know you, they know who you are, uh, you know, they want to talk about your family, your kids. I mean, that, that's great. And that's how we want it to be here at Resurrection Church. We want to be known that way. And so we're going to be talking somewhat about that. So um, <clears throat> let me bring us back to the main point of my message now, uh, the message of being known. <clears throat> here at Res, we have been working hard, as I said to do the name tag things, do the gospel teaching, let us be known to him, Jesus Christ, and let uh, us be known to you and the others. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. In other words, we can't just say, Lord, Lord. We've got to know him. He's got to know us. And we've got to be doing his will. To some, they might say, that sounds a lot like works. But no, that's being obedient to the call of God. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name, or did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And he said, that I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me 
you workers of lawlessness. Some translations say of inequities. Ouch. Too late when that happens. You know, so that's why we feel it's important to talk about that here, uh, obviously. Jesus knows us by, by our fruit. And this can be a hard passage to hear if you're not sure of the answer. But, by the, but rest assured, together, we will see how we can be sure that we will inherit the kingdom of God as we go on through Matthew 25. But I want to talk about the fruit for a moment. You know, people, some people hear that and they say, fruit? Well, I like bananas. I like pineapple. Some might even say, I like kumquats. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about doing his will by being there for others when nobody else is. By being able to recognize in your own heart when you've had a sin that you've uh, committed, that you could repent from that sin. There's so many things about ourselves that he needs to know about us and we about him. So in Matthew 25, starting at 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. What a great time of expectation this will be. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah. I mean, we look forward to that. Even today, as we look at what's going on in the world with all the wars and all the things that go in the economy and all these things, you know, I find myself often going, Lord, come soon, quick, come soon. But I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb right here, right now, and tell you publicly, I don't think this is the time that we're looking at here. I think we still have a lot of work to do before the Lord sees fit to come his second time. So let's, let's listen up. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right. Ooh, there's not many sheep today. Uh, And then he will place the goats on the left. Luckily, there's not many goats today. Just joking, guys, okay? Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world Key word there, foundation of the world. It just didn't happen today. You know, God may have opened your heart today, but he prepared this day for you since the foundation of the world. It's no surprise to him. The surprise is to us. And so let's go ahead and be surprised more. <clears throat> to be clear, this is those who have accepted Christ with the evidence of the following verses. He says in 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, truly I say to you, 
As you did this to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Who was he talking about right there? His brothers. That would be the disciples and the followers of that time. However, um, I find it comforting as I read scripture, I find that he's included us in that as well. And one of those places is found in uh, the high priestly prayer of John in the chapter 17 of John. Priestly prayer of Christ in the 17th chapter of John. And I'll just go ahead and read the last portion of it. I do not ask for those, these only, meaning the brothers, uh, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In other words, those who they taught. That they might all be one, just as you, Father, and I are in me, and I am in you. That they also may be in us, so that the word, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, how are we in them as well? We talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, and it's through the God, the Holy Spirit, is how we're in them. We, we've gotten that message down through these centuries to be one with them. Now, here's interesting thing. If you let your mind do what my mind often does when, when I um, read these and contemplate on these scriptures, is, man, it really goes somewhere, okay? So if, if I'm looking out here and 2,000 plus years later, we are one with the triune God. It doesn't make us a God, by the way, but we're one with them to do the will of God. If we are, well, so is that church down the street that's a gospel teaching church and the one in the other state and those around the world. Multiply that. What kind of army do we have going here? That, you know, we are together are one together. And so I'm, I hate to say it this way, but I'm proud to know that we as a church are one in the sense that if you look across the 20 some odd uh, missions and missionaries we support, they're from all denominations. Uh, proud to say that we cooperate with, you know, like uh, uh, Cecil Ramos, if I said it right, um, is with Mennonite Brethren. He's with Multiply. Wonderful. I love what Multiply is doing in Thailand. Uh, or it could be with um, the uh, Fundamental Baptist in Africa. Or it could be with the Pentecostals down in South America. I mean, it's just we're all one together. And so to me, that magnifies not only the magnitude of what Christ is doing in the world today, but also magnifies what our jobs are in far as cooperation and learning to walk across the aisle, so to speak. Um, Too bad we couldn't be a better example of that um, to some people, but, um, and so let me continue. Um, And so in Matthew, I'll continue with Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, sorry about that. And naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison? And I did not minister to you. 
Then they answered, he answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into the eternal, into eternal life. Now, if you're listening to verse, the first half of that verse 46, that's pretty scary stuff. I think that would get my attention if I wasn't already included in the, the righteous into eternal life. Because um, obviously, for the obvious reasons. Now, why does that really matter to us if we are, in fact, the righteous ones? It's because our family are over on the other side. Our friends are on the other side. Our coworkers are on the other side. Those who we greet and meet on the street, some of them are on the other side. And I'm not saying this at all of our family. It's that we have family members that are lost. And, you know, my heart's desire is that, that they would be filled with the love of God and the Holy Spirit to where they can continue to do the things that will earn them the uh, righteousness to eternal life. <clears throat> so let's look together what the Apostle Paul says about salvation. Um, the evidence of salvation comes from Romans 5.1, at least one of the evidences. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And later in the verse, it says, God's love has been poured out into to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That would call another hallelujah if I dare. Yeah, a little more emphasis there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so how do we get there? Um, one of the things we do as a church and what, what society does is um, the ministry of social work. You say, oh, are you going to go there, a social justice warrior? No, I'm going to go there biblically. This is what the Bible says we should be doing. But I want to compare it to what the world says we should be doing in the context of uh, a famous psychologist named Abraham Maslow. Um, in 1943, it is a, a charted set of human requirements to be fulfilled to achieve complete development and self-actualization. If you can see the chart behind me, you can see it's a pyramid style. It starts at the bottom and goes up. In other words, in short, when the bottom needs met, then they go, a person naturally would go to the next need. And so um, the hierarchy of need is, is um, charted here, but it's also, it's, it's very very parallel to what we say in scripture. You know, we got to meet them here first, then we bring them this, and we bring them this, and then they mature spiritually. Uh, these needs are presented in that pyramidal design shown the different stages from the bottom to the top. Uh, as you see, the needs includes self-actualization, esteem, love, safety, uh, physiological uh, stability. Uh, we would call that... Um, spiritual stability. Um, the hierarchy of needs shows the motivations of the human actions. The basic psychological needs like food, water, sleep, warmth, and shelter need to be met first before we can think about the other secondary needs. And that applies to man in his spiritual journey as well. Um, it's interesting to me how science continues to reflect what the Bible teaches, as in this case, Maslow's finding and Jesus' teaching in Matthew and other places in Scripture uh, are very similar in reference. 
When we practice fulfilling these needs on the giving side, we often feel good about ourselves. You know, when you roll up to the stop sign and there's this really uh, gaunt looking individual that's dirty and says, I'm hungry. Uh, It feels really good to give them a $5 bill or a sandwich, doesn't it? Yeah. But have you really met their needs? Or if we were to uh, go across town and uh, work at a food kitchen that serves a meal. And in itself, it's great. But are you really meeting their needs? What they require is consistency. They need to know that you care about them. And you know, just one trip at the stoplight it necessarily means that you care about them. And sometimes we, we kind of feel proud about ourselves. That's not the, that shouldn't be the goal of doing that. I want to com- compare this to what we have done for going on a decade and a half partnering with Flood Ministries. Uh, I was a founding board member of Flood and served there for 10 years on their board. And our goals were to not just meet the temporary needs, but to meet the eternal needs. And we taught, and we, we taught by learning ourselves, the best way to get to know somebody and to meet their needs was to build a relationship with them. Often we'd be driving down the road and we'd see somebody sitting there. We'd pull over and sit on the curb with them. I'd do it now, but I wouldn't get up very well. But we would talk to them. And, and, and it's shown that it takes at least nine of those interactions with an individual before they would start trusting us to even come to a meal we're serving, let alone to accept housing. And so we developed this concept where we would have outreaches and we would do it in parking lots and parks, in church parking lots, and sometimes inside churches. Uh, and then we kind of got really sophisticated. We went and leased the uh, veteran center out at Martin Luther King Park, and we were there for five years. And we would have, um, we'd set up a big tent. I'm sure you've seen the big white tent around. If not, it was, you know, 40 wide by or by. 100 feet long, and we would set up chairs and rows and a bandstand in there, and we'd have some good, good old, really good old worship music uh, brought to us by different churches each weekend, and then we would have a, a good 20-minute uh, gospel-centered preaching. You know, they're getting the worship, they're getting the good word, and then we would, uh, we would all, while all this going on, we had people preparing a phenomenal meal out behind the building. And then they would all go in there and they'd have, a, they'd have a meal. You know, sometimes it would be spaghetti and salad and French bread. Uh, sometimes it would be, be stroganoff. Uh, sometimes it would be deep pit. I mean, we tried to give them the best food that we can give them. And we would even make enough to give them seconds. You know, that built so much relationships with them. And then they'd come around and they would, uh, we'd have a prayer table. Well, you know, folks, in the beginning, they really don't want to give you the name. They will tell you, though, pray for my mother, pray for my brother who's in prison, or these types of things, kind of superficial. But the more we were able to build trust, they'd give you their name. And then we would pray for them. And it was amazing, the prayer that went on at that table. And then we would give them a food pack that would kind of help them get them through the week. And then next week, we'd see them back out there again building consistency. We did it at that one park for five years until the county wouldn't renew our lease. Um, 
But in that five years, we reduced homelessness in that general vicinity by 37%. Yeah, it's consistency. It's the love of Christ. We even had a shower trailer that we set up. Matter of fact, we own it now as a church. It sits right over here. It goes out once a week to a church without walls. And uh, we're building plans to get it out in the community more often by us manning it. But I need your, need your help. We can't do it on, you know, just uh, Tony and I. Um, but we have a, a, a method to our madness because when we sew you up in one ministry, we connect it to another ministry, and you go, oh, I'd like to do that too. So also with that Sarah trailer, uh, the chaplain's team I referred to earlier is that we have a, a volunteer spot to where, say, for example, we get called out to, uh, back when we did, when the Erskine fire was here, we got called out by Red Cross to man the shelter. And so we brought the shower trailer. And you put a yellow shirt on that says volunteer. And there's takes no training whatsoever. You can show up to that and, oh, to meet the needs of somebody who just come running off the mountain with their house on fire and they're all smoky, that what that shower does for them, often they would sit down there later and we get to share the gospel with them. At minimum, we would pray with them and meet their needs by having a meal. And so there are all kinds of things that we could be doing as a church that are making the difference with people that are hurting. And I mentioned the 37% homelessness that we, we were able to uh, abate over there in uh, the Martin Luther King Park area. But uh, that was taken over because floods gotten so big and the government requires them to do it a different way. They have to now employ outreach workers who uh, travel throughout the community and find the homeless in the spot of their, you know, where their camp is at. And they certify them homeless there. Then they could start the process of, of doing uh, the meeting the needs, you know, the felt needs, so that they can get them housed. Because it's been proven that you can't um, kick your addiction on the street. You can't, um, you know, access psychological help, psychiatric help on the street. It only works effectively when you're housed. And so that's how they're doing it now. And they offer ride-alongs if you'd want to go on a ride-along to see what it looks like in a homeless camp over here on the river. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunities that we have that we could start bearing fruit. And some of you already do this all the time. Um, but you might say, you might be thinking, I've tried that. I just get rejected or or they're an ungrateful and they're crazy. I want to be safe. And we make sure all that happens, that you are safe. And yes, there are many people who are mentally unstable. Um, we see those often down the ER in, uh, at Kern Medical. We see a lot of those things. But those are the people he's talking about in Matthew. But when you meet the needs of the least of these, this is where you serve him. Does that, can you connect those dots? I mean, that's what he's asking us to do. So we have plenty of opportunity, whether it be serving at Jado, which funds these projects. Um, oh, by the way, I, I need to mention this. Uh, last year at the end of the, you know, December 31st, Jado finally reached their million dollars in sales mark. Yes. yes. And... 
I don't know the exact number, but I think it's six hundred or maybe $700,000 that we've donated to different missionaries. Yes. But do you know how that number can be higher if you volunteered? Because then we wouldn't have to employ so many staff members. We still have to have staff members to run and all the things. But with more help, stocking shelves, uh, doing these Saturday yard sales, this other stuff, we can earn more money doing that. And I don't know if I mentioned it in this service, but this last weekend, this yesterday, we earned a little over $2,400 to give to Mark and Sherry to send them off to, uh, back off to um, Ecuador. So, and BP, Bakersfield Pregnancy Center, I it was a former board member there as well. And the work they're doing there, um, we are actually, it's really interesting how we're starting to partner with an a- agency right across the river here called Keepers of the Cross, and they have a women's home. Um, and it's one of these no-barrier women's homes, meaning if they have an addiction, uh, they, they can come in. If they have medication needed for their mental health, they can come in and still access their mental health medications. Um, if, they have, uh, if they smoke a cigarette, they still can do that while they're The whole goal is to get them from here to there in the time that they're going through that discipleship program. Well, they partnered with Bakersfield Pregnancy Center and they give them two beds for a homeless mother to try to avert the abortion so they could stabilize that person. I mean, that's worth another hallelujah. Yes. Um, and then, you know, with Youth for Christ that's out here, uh, we've been partners with them for, for as long as I can remember. There are so many things that they do that we can be a part of that I would love to up that ramp to Youth for Christ. Uh, working in schools, doing the juvenile justice system, uh, those types of things. They've got a phenomenal ministry, as well as uh, royal servants out there. You'll see that uh, booth set up there. That's our own uh, half of me, little one, um, <laughs> Caleb Van Sickle, that uh, is working that booth and probably going to help you in some of the other booths as well. But uh, those are where we train our children to be uh, disciples and disciple makers. You go on, they go on international trips, and you never know. They may go with Kayla as their leader. Um, there are just so many opportunities that we have. So before I finish, I want to tell one more story. Um, let me take a moment. This is my story of how God spoke to me and called me into his service. Um, goes way back to me as a child. Uh, I lived in a nice middle-class post-war home. My father was a, a Marine in Okinawa. And uh, when I was born, he was a firefighter for the city of Bakersfield and worked hard. My mother worked to, to raise us. And then when we got in school, she went to work in kitchens in different places, cooked and you know, to help make a, make a, a living for our family. But... Um, you know, we were the young rascals on that, on that block. There were four or five of us guys all about the same age. And, you know, hopefully you never lived on the street I grew up on. Um, Christmas time. Back, this, back then, you know, I had those Christmas balls that you decorate. They were big. We used to go swap, take those. Um, Lord, forgive me. Steal those. And we'd go out and play um, combat with them. Those would be our grenades. You know, they blew up really good when they hit the street. Uh, but we were doing that. And one day, one Sunday, one of the neighbor ladies, well-meaning, 
uh, grabbed us all up, put us in a car, and drove us right around the corner over here to uh, Sunshine Church and was going to scare the hell out of us, uh, excuse me, uh, hooligans. Um, that only happened once. Don't know why. Uh, but, you know, we were boys. Um, and so I never went back to church. That was the only time I've ever been to church. I never, ever saw a Bible. Never. I knew what they were, but I didn't have any opportunity to, to read one or be exposed to the truths in the Bible. And so, you know, went through school like everybody else did, you know, got so, so, so grades and graduated from high school and went to work at a gas station. You know, I loved automotive mechanics. I rebuilt cars, did all those things. Worked in a gas station, set it on fire one time. But um, I got it out before it did any damage. Uh, but um, I enjoyed that kind of work, but I realized quickly that I w- this was a go-nowhere job. You know, and I was getting older. I was, by that time, I was 21. And uh, I was smart enough to think, well, I, I need a career. And so... Uh, Vietnam War was hot and heavy, and so I went down and applied, went from uh, recruiting station to recruiting station, and decided that I didn't want to be a Marine. As a matter of fact, my dad told me if I joined the Marines, he would kick my you-know-where. Um, and so I didn't need any more convincing than that. So I ended up joining the Navy, and boy, I loved the Navy. When I was there, I loved it because I was learning a skill. Uh, they sent me to school. I learned how to... Uh, I uh, work on jet aircraft, and my specific job was the ejection seat, which was a cool job because when I got on that airplane, everybody else got off of it. And I could, I could, tell, I could tell the air boss, hey, this plane ain't fit to fly because it's got a problem with the seat. And they would listen to me. I, I had power. And I was just a young seaman, you know, and I still had power. But uh, more than that, uh, I got introduced to these salty sailors. You know what I mean by that when I say a salty sailor? Uh, man, I had salt running through my veins before you knew it. And I'm ashamed to talk about the things that, that I saw and did and participated in. And but, you know, uh, we went through the Vietnam War. That ended. And then our second deployment was another wartime deployment. We were sent over to where our fleet is at today, there in the Red Sea, in that area. We were sent over there. It was the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Same kind of scenario. Uh, we were over there uh, flying armed sorties to you know, keep um, one of the sides from closing the Suez Canal because we've heard in the news how critical that is. And so we were there, but fortunately, we, they didn't require our services, but we still had to stay there. And so one night, we were out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. They called it the uh, Indian Ocean Operating Area because they couldn't identify where it was at because I don't even think the State Department knew we were there. Um, and so, and there's other things in the story I could tell you that confirm that. But anyway, we were out there in the middle of the night and I had petty officer of the watch duty up on the flight deck. And um, my job was the most important job on the ship. I was supposed to make sure nobody stole any of our airplanes. Um, think that was gonna happen? No, so obviously I did nothing except for walk the flight deck, you know, look at change, make sure they're hooked up, tied down, all those things, and a, lot, a big, boring four-hour shift. And then I looked up, and I saw that. And I stood there, 
And I stared at that. And of course, that makes no representation of what I saw. It was so dark. We were, we were um, operating on totally darkness, no lights on, no nothing. And so it's as pitch black as pitch black could be. I don't think there was a moon up that night. And so I could see all the way into the heavens. And when I was looking at that, being just mesmerized by it, I heard a voice. Now, God speaks to us through his scripture. And so if you hear a voice, you need to confirm it or you need to go to the psychiatrist. (laughs) So I didn't know this, but let me read to you in scripture what I saw. It's called, it's in Psalms 19 verses one through four. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are no words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for his son. And I'm here to tell you, I heard God's voice by what I saw. But it goes more than that. I said, I just said out loud, okay, so where does it end? And if it ends, what's on the other side? And this is what I heard. I am. I said, what? And I heard no more. But I again looked up there and I'm going, that's God's creation. He is speaking to me through what I'm seeing in the sky. And for centuries and eons and thousands of years, he's spoken to mankind with this very picture. Now, here's the troubling part. So, I'd heard about Christians. My most um, vivid, horrible example of this was Reverend Roy. Reverend Roy was on our ship, and he was as, probably as big as me as I am now. Back then, I was skinny, but <laughs> this large, dumpy, third-class petty officer with a 10-foot finger and a 10-pound Bible. And he would walk around, hitting you over the head with the Bible and poking in the chest of that finger and telling, sinner, you need to repent. You are going to hell. I thought, well, that's not him. I don't need to look any further there. You know, that's not the God I saw, the God of glory, the God of wonder, the God of truth. I saw all that in the sky. That's not him. So I got out of the Navy. I got married. We went, started going to a church. Yeah, I even went to a church looking for his name. Here's the interesting thing. Nobody ever came up to me and said, oh, hey, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you about how I found Jesus Christ who saved me from my sin. That would have been all it would have taken because I'd heard his name. But nobody did that. Now, maybe I was running in the wrong circles. I don't know. Um, So I went to this church, got married in this church, and as type of church, liturgical church, had the, up here it had the choir loft on both sides and here where the preacher preached, it was this big old monster of a thing that he stood behind in a big old gown and, you know, 
pontificated. And never one time do I recall him preaching about Jesus. And then, as there are in many churches like that, there's a group of those weird people. You know them? They're the ones who are trying to get all of those people saved. They're the sheep who's trying to get the goats turned into sheep. You know what I'm saying? And so they held an event one Saturday evening in the fellowship hall with a meal, wonderful meal, and testimonies. And I'm sitting here listening to these testimonies. And then this one guy gets up. And he resonated with me because, you know, back in the day that I was in the service, I had a drinking problem. And, you know, every time the ship hit the beach or tied up to the dock, however it did, I had a drinking problem because, you know, we'd been at sea 40 days. And what's a salty sailor do? He goes and gets drunk. And then he comes back and then he pays the price. But this guy told me and everybody that was there about a drinking problem he had and how it was affecting his life and it changed everything. And he was, an, a, a, he was addicted, he was an addict. And then one day this, this guy came along and told him about this person named Jesus Christ. And right there, as God is my witness, I said, and I exclaimed, I hit the table. You know how they're sitting at those tables and, the, and when you hit them, they shake and call over. I said, that's him. That's the name of the God in the Indian Ocean that I saw in the sky. Finally, hallelujah, I've heard his name now. Now I want to learn about him. I want to know about him. There was a little old man named uh, Ted, uh, Ted Brooks, who was an old retired electrician. He and his wife, Ora, took me under his wing and taught me all the things I needed to know and got me a Bible. I started reading it. And then I went to uh, the right reverend doctor, won't mention his name, and I said to him, Pastor, I am so on fire for Jesus. I want to do something for our church to help us be on fire for Jesus. I want to do this and I want to do that. And he just sat there and let me go on and let me go on. And he crossed his arms and he said, son, that's okay. Just wait a while, that'll go away. And I said, no, it won't. And I'm here to tell you, no, it hasn't. And so, so my message to you through the methods that we're talking about in this Go series is I need you to find Jesus if you don't know him. And I'm here to say I'm glad I mentioned his name tonight or today because uh, somebody may never have said that to you just like they had never said it to me. You know, if I'd have been struck by a car and died, I'd have gone to hell. With the exception as I was known before the foundation of the earth. So I was bound to hear his name sooner or later. Better sooner than later because we have fruit to pick. And so we're even offering evangelism training. You know, kind of like the time when you got on the elevator and you're on the first floor. And of course in Beijing, the floors go up to their uh, 15 floors, but they're only 14 floors because they don't mention the fourth floor because that's the word for death. Um, so you're at floor number one and some people get on the floor and I, you know, obviously I'm controlling the buttons, so I say, 
how, how high are you going? They'll say the floor name. I says, I'm going all the way. What do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you about my, name, my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. You don't have to have an intense knowledge of Scripture, but yet we're willing to help you with that, give you an intense knowledge of Scripture so that you can, in fact, do that. Uh, and the other thing, what would happen if we start this homeless ministry, start it back up, and we start getting a couple guys and gals coming through that back door, sitting in the pews? Who's going to sit next to them? Who? Okay, I see that hand. Who else? It's going to take more than one. I see another hand. Another one, another one. Yes, we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. You know, we, we are commanded to do this. One of the other things is, and I said this in first service and I didn't know how well it went off. Um, I said, it might be so much as just go down to the store and buy a pack of cigarettes. Make sure you get that pack that's got the lid on it that closes so they don't go stale. Put them in your car. You see a homeless guy over there having a bad day. Go give him a cigarette. He's going to appreciate that, and he's going to recognize you. And that's one step. You got eight more. You know, it, it's just so simple. We just got to open our eyes and our heart to the things that Jesus is already talking to us about here in his word. He's already telling us to do it. Let's be disciples. Let's be disciple makers. Let's go. Let's go wherever it is. Let's go. And it could mean working in the nursery. I have this dream, by the way. I better shut up or I'm going to run out of time. But I have this dream that I, I've met in my walk here the last couple of months, a number of families that have autistic children. They can't necessarily go to church like you and I because they have to care for their child. And we don't have the resources to do that. Wow, what if we did what if we did? What a ministry. Do you know that statistics say that one of four families have, uh, are touched by a handicap of some type, a disability? In my family, it's me. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, could you imagine the mission field? If we started figuring these things out and started meeting those needs and be consistent with it, how many people we could share the love of Christ with You'd have to get another seat. We'd have to plant more churches. I think that's what we're called to do. So as I've went over time, and if Daniel doesn't know it because he's not here, uh, he'll find out, though, because somebody, somebody will tell him. Um, but uh, go ahead and come on up. I, I, I want to close before I get too much more in trouble. My biggest question to you is, do you know his name and think about me when you ask that question. Do you know his name? Because for a year and a half, I walked around not knowing his name. And that was terrible. Please don't let that happen to somebody that you run into. So do you know his name? So today we have the opportunity not just to go out and look at the things we have in the, in the foyer, but we have the opportunity to come forward here. Uh, maybe you haven't trusted Christ as your savior. We'll have some elders and leaders up here that will help guide you through that, help listen to your heart. Or maybe you just need to reevaluate your life. 
and your commitment to Christ. Maybe you say, you've heard through this message that, you know, I used to do that. But then life caught up. Well, hey, life's here again, right now. Eternal life. Or you just need to come up for prayer for your health or anything else that's going on in your life, for relationships. But please, come as we sing this song.